I just want to say this right now. If you didn't hear last week's program, my father was here at the house with me, and we talked about generational curses. And I know that's not maybe exciting to some people to ha- to hear about. Maybe they don't believe in generational curses. Well, folks, the generational curses are actually right there in the Ten Commandments. You got to read it. It's in the program. You'll hear it right there. God talked about it and it was laid out, but God can break those curses. They do not have to be. And we had my father here. It was a powerful program. It was raw. It was off the cuff. It was just he and I. There was nothing written down. Uh, we just went with wherever the Lord led. And I'm telling you, if you haven't heard it, you will be blessed. Uh, you need to hear this because this is a time to understand that God is able to deliver no matter what your past dilemma has been or your present condition is right now. God is able to deliver and set you free. Let's pray. Father, in the name above every name, I ask that what comes out on this program tonight would be according to your will, because I asked it in the name above every name, the name that makes devils tremble in fear, the name of Yeshua Jesus. I have asked this, Father. Amen. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, folks, we've talked so often about persecution, and we see it. Christians, uh, believers in the Lord Jesus, are the most persecuted uh, group of people around the world. You don't always hear about it because we live in the United States, and we think everything in the United States revolves around us. But if you listen to the Voice of the Martyrs and other groups like that, Christians are being persecuted, killed, even hung on crosses uh, at times in different places of the world. It's terrible. And I'm telling you, it's not only coming here, it's here. It's beginning to happen now. I don't know if you've seen the story of the pastor uh, James Coates uh, from Canada who preached a powerful sermon. I'm going to link to this sermon over on BitChute. It's kind of hard to find the whole thing, but I found it over there. Uh, This should be pastoral Christian 101. Every pastor in the United States should have to listen to this sermon that he preached. This sermon cost him uh, five weeks in jail, and I don't think he's going to stop preaching just because they let him out. Now, the interesting thing is he brought up a very interesting point that I want to just kind of focus on for a moment here because this is important to understand. He did not go to jail because he disobeyed the restrictions. He went to jail because he obeyed our Lord and Savior, Yeshua. Did you hear what I said? He didn't go to jail because he disobeyed the restrictions. He went to jail because he obeyed the directions from our Heavenly Father and his Son, Yeshua. That's why he went to jail. See, we've got to understand that it's not just a disobedience. It's, that's not it. That's not what makes you the rebel. It's obeying the Lord that makes you a rebel to the, ki- to the kingdom of this earth. The kingdom of heaven is in conflict. It's in violence. It is opposed and contrary to this. And so simply following the commands of our Lord and Savior will make you the enemy. And there are many, and people even on this been on this program, please keep Brother Jamie Walden in prayer, Brother Benjamin and others that have been on this program 
for simply speaking the truth. They have been persecuted. Uh, Brother uh, David Murray, a great friend, uh, just for speaking the truth. The devil likes to come at him and his family. Uh, other people, all of us, we, we have things happen, not because we're out there disobeying society, but it's because we are following what the Lord said. It's interesting that those who are who are peaceful, who simply preach truth, end up being cause, called those that are the, the troublemakers, the, the rabble-rousers in, in these days. When we haven't burnt down any buildings, we haven't caused any riots, we haven't told anybody to take up arms and kill people, we don't do any of that stuff. Matter of fact, we do the opposite. We talk about our weapons are those which we have in the spirit, which are on our knees that we wield by the spirit of the living God. Those are the weapons that we fight with, the Lord's word. That is our sword. But yet people will call us the enemy simply for preaching a standard by which God has told us to live to. The other interesting part is the surprise and shock that believers have when things happen to them for obeying the Lord. Acts 14.22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? The Bible said that through much tribulation, we will enter into the kingdom. Because when you follow the Lord and Savior, you will be tried. You will be persecuted at times. And we've not seen anything here in in the United States yet. We haven't seen anything compared to what other people suffer. But it's not that you are disobeying the world. It's that you are following the Lord that causes the persecution. Thessalonians 1, 3 and 4 says this, For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know... The apostle was trying to tell us we will suffer persecution. First Peter 4, uh, 12 and 13 says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. And I know there's a lot of you that are struggling and suffering right now. Don't be surprised. You have chosen to follow the Lord. Now you are an enemy of the world. The difference is, the world is temporal. They are backed by the flesh. You are going to be an eternal person that will live and reign with our Lord and Savior at the redemption. And when when the second coming and all this, the Lord is on your side. They don't have anybody that is going to be eternal on their side. Matter of fact, when their judgment comes, it's not going to be good. But your Lord and Savior promised to advocate to our Heavenly Father on your behalf. But he also warned us by the Spirit of the living God through the Apostle Peter, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Also, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, says this, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, and folks, we many of us, we need it, uh, myself included, uh, probably above many others, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now ye see him, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. See, our faith is being tried like God gold in the fire to get rid of the dross, but you got to heat it up. 
You got to heat it up for Babylon to get out sometimes. We're like that gold chunk, but there's dross in there. And God's faithful. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that my children are in my kingdom. And sometimes that means turning up the fire. So don't be surprised. They did it to our Lord and Savior. They did it to Pastor Coates here now in North America. Things we're not used to seeing. People being arrested simply for preaching the truth. And folks, I encourage every person to go out and listen to this sermon. It's so basic, yet so true about what it means to actually obey authority and what it means to follow the Lord and Savior. Listen, God is not against authority, but authority needs to also follow biblically our Lord and Savior for them to be proper in their authority because they have certain things that God has tasked them to do that they must carry out in a biblical manner. I live in Virginia and Virginia just did away with the death penalty. I can't believe that. One of the first things God gave Noah after he stepped off the ark before the Ten Commandments, before all those things, before the Levitical laws, everything, One of the very first things given to Noah was the death penalty, okay? Because if you were to take somebody else's life, life for life, it's what it said. And and so to do away with these things because they don't want to hurt anybody unless you don't accept their ways, then they're okay with hurting you, burning down your businesses, looting your stores, and calling you all kinds of hateful words and how you're responsible for all the evils in the world simply because you follow the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Folks, we have a target. The persecution is now here. It's not going to get better. Things are going to get worse. These are the times we've been talking about. They have now arrived. They will continue to escalate because those that are in leadership now have fallen into such, well, it's been like that, but let's be real. But now the darkness has gotten so heavy. Now that the girl, now the boys can dress like girls and compete in women's sports, we have gone completely berserk in this country. We have lost our ever-loving minds. We are so far away from the absolute truth of the living God. We wouldn't understand holiness, many people, if it hit them right in between the eyes. And if one of the disciples, one of the apostles of the Bible, one of the great men of the Bible came and preached in any church, any home fellowship today, he'd run the people out because they'd say, they're too strict. They're too strict. Paul said in his day, or Jesus said in his day, he said, repent or perish. Meaning he told the people, he said, you're either turn from your wicked ways and repent or you're going to hell. Paul, the apostle Paul said, be ye not deceived for these people will not enter the kingdom. They are not going drunkards, revels, all the different things he listed out. He says, don't trick and fool yourself that they're getting in. They're not going. They are not. And but yet the churches say it doesn't matter. Live like you want to live. Little Johnny, when he was five years old, he had a moment. He raised his hand. He's saved. He's okay. He might be living like the devil and walking in the devil's ways and everything like that. Doesn't care toots about God. But because when he was a little kid, he ra- folks, that is a lie from the devil. You don't follow God and you turn yourself to the Lord and then think you can just follow after the world. I'm not talking about do messing up and making mistakes. Mistakes. I'm not talking about a time of backsliding and, and God turns you back. I'm talking about people who disregard the ways of the Lord and think that it's okay. And somehow because they raised their hand at some time in their life, they're fine for an eternity. Folks, I'm not, I don't believe that. I don't believe that one bit. God has called us to follow. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we mess up. God is faithful and just to forgive us. But you can't go and just do what you want to do. Your life is not yours anymore. 
Your life is not yours anymore. God has called us to a higher standard, and he expects us to live out the things that he says to do, and it's important. I'm telling you, folks, generational curses. You got to hear last week's program because God broke a multi-generational curse off of my family. It was amazing. It was powerful. We talked about it. And I'm telling you, this is the same God we serve today. He is still in the business of doing this. But here's the cool thing about persecution. It's not cool what's happening. But listen to this verse back in Deuteronomy, talking about the last days. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 30 and 31. When thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shall be obedient unto his voice. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget thy covenant of thy fathers, which he swear unto thee. And this was a prophecy from all the way back in Deuteronomy in the, in the end times, in the last days. God says, if you'll turn back to him, Follow the things that he says. He is merciful and he will not forsake you. That's the God that we serve. And he's calling us as believers for such a time as this. It's time to wake up and understand that things have changed forever. They're not going back. We're not heading back to churches as they used to be. Folks, That's most of the churches, they're like Egypt. It's bondage because all you do is you sit in there, you hear your little sermon, you hear your little, your little uh, scripture a week or whatever, or you go to church on your Saturday or your Sunday and you hear your little sermon and you're okay and do what you want to do. Folks, God called us to be out and to witness, to take this good news unto every living creature, the Bible says. That we, that is the great commission, and God needs us to hold up our end of the bargain. He certainly held up his end. And I want to talk to you about that because right now, persecution and the Passover are hand in hand. And the reason they go hand in hand is because Jesus Yeshua suffered the ultimate persecution when he laid down his life for us. And this year, uh, starting at actually sundown Sabbath, so tomorrow evening, uh, begins the Passover, which is another uh, Sabbath, and then the end of uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which follows through uh, the time of the Passover. Uh, At the end of that will also be another Sabbath day. This is a time of the high holy days uh, when God is reminding us of the great persecution that ended in the most wonderful sacrifice that ever happened in history. This sacrifice which took away the sins of the world. And and I want to talk a little bit about that here this evening on this program because it's important we understand what's going on because this is what's going to help us maintain through these last days, through this tribulation, through these hard times. This is what's going to keep people speaking boldly because they understand the importance of what was done and what happened and what is still to come. This is a very serious message I'm about to share with you. This is not uh, a motivational speech or an ear-tickling sermon tonight, uh, a speech that I'm giving. This is an important thing because I know of no other event in history that 2,000 years after it happened, that it is still changing the hearts of the drunkards, the minds of the drug addicts, softening the hearts of the hard-hearted, opening the eyes of the blind, raises the dead, offers salvation to prostitutes, forgiveness to thieves, and makes believers out of tax collectors. 
Yeshua. He is the greatest man in history, and he had no servants, yet they called him master. He had no degree, yet they called him teacher. He had no medicines, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, and yet he lives today. Father, help me in this, in Yeshua's name. This is what I have come to share with you tonight. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. You remember how Moses had been calling down the plagues that had been happening during the days of the prior to the Exodus when he had returned back to Egypt and he was warning the Pharaoh to let his people go. And the Pharaoh would not. He would, he would for a moment seem to relent and then he would quickly turn back the way that he was and he would put them right back into the bondage. Plague after plague after plague. So finally God had had enough. Pharaoh would not relent no matter what he did. So Moses told the Pharaoh through the spirit of the living God that God was going to bring death upon the firstborn in Egypt. Not only the firstborn of the Pharaoh's house, but of the servants and all the way down to the firstborn of the cattle were going to die. But even at the hearing of those words, the Pharaoh still did not believe at the hearing of that. Picking up in Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So God was talking about the Passover here. That is actually the beginning of the year, not January 1, if you want to be biblical. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out of the sheep and from the goats, and ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two sides of the post, on the upper door of the post of the house, wherein they shall eat it, and they shall eat in their flesh Eat the flesh in that night, roast it with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. And ye shall let nothing of it remain to the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus ye shall eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hands, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So here God is telling them, I want you to eat, not only to eat the Passover, but make sure that your shoes are on, your clothes are on, you got your staff in your hand, because you need to be ready to go. Folks, I believe that is God talking to us in this very hour. We need to be ready, our shoes on, our clothes on, our staff in our hand. Yes, I know you got to go to sleep, but I'm talking about God is telling us in this hour, we need to be ready to hightail it because there will be coming a moment when he is calling us out. And folks, he's already spiritually been calling us out of Egypt, out of Babylon. He may very well call you at a moment to flee out of this country. You need to be ready or to another location to live. That's up to God. Maybe he tells you to stay where it's at, but you need to be listening to 
him, not a man, not a woman. You need to listen to what God says. Because in verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be on your on you for a token upon the house wherein you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt." You see, interesting thing was, God had shown Pharaoh all these plagues. He had shown all these things. And Pharaoh, as great as he was, as magnificent as the Pharaoh was in his kingdom with all his great armies and everything, it didn't matter how great he was because if he was not under the blood, his family was not under the blood, that night it did not matter how how great he was in his own eyes. If he wasn't under the blood, he wasn't going to make it. His firstborn had been told would die. And if he didn't come under the blood, he would lose the firstborn. Folks, I'm telling you right now, if we're not under the blood in these last days, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. You must be under the blood. I don't care how good your religion is, how great your church is, your home fellowship, how you keep all the holy days, Sabbath, how you're kosher, all these. What I don't care. If you're not under the blood, you will not make it. There will be obedient people that don't make it into the kingdom if you refuse to come under the blood. We must be under the blood. Such a simple yet powerful command from God, yet the people still have a right to choose. I find that so interesting. Our God was trying to tell them with every ounce of him, you must be under the blood, and he still let them make their own choice because he is a God of love, and the God of love does not force anybody to love him. He lets them choose if they want to go his way. Now, here's the interesting thing. About 1,500 years later, here Jesus was, had three and a half of the most powerful years of ministry in earth's history, bar none. The greatest men of the Bible, the greatest uh, prophets of the Bible, the greatest conquerors in the Old Testament, they had wonderful ministries. Yes, even Elijah and Elisha uh, raising the dead, you know, the boy that had died and Elijah went and laid on him, all those wonderful things that had happened, and yet none of them could even touch the ministry of Yeshua. It wasn't even close to the power. Three and a half years, Jesus was beginning to now, at the end of his ministry, feel the weight and the burden of the sin that he must bear for an ungrateful people. Disciples that refused to understand because their own desires were greater than their master's word. Imagine how Yeshua must have felt. He was there. He's at the end of time in his life on this earth. Now he's getting ready to obviously do more, but this is the end. He's getting ready to face the ultimate persecution, the beating worse than anybody. Here he is getting ready to face it, and his own people refuse to listen to what he has to say. I could only imagine from the human side of Yeshua in that moment as he was here on this earth being fully God and fully human at the same time, how he could feel that same pain that we would feel when our own friends betray us. I feel like so often we do the same thing with the Lord. We make a whole lot of promises. We say we'll follow him and then when it counts, we're nowhere to be found. You see, truth meant nothing because the desire to see Rome smashed was viewed as greater 
than their sins being forgiven. The need to sit on the left and the right hand of Jesus in his kingdom meant more than salvation for all people. That's how the disciples saw it. And folks, we are guilty so often of the same things. We're so worried about ourselves and our own prosperity. We forget that the forgiveness of sins to somebody else is worth more than all the riches of this world. It's worth more than who is the president of the United States. It's worth more than who is in control right now. It's salvation of men and women is worth more than anything else that is going on in this world. And atop all of this hurt and disappointment, Jesus knew the scripture. He knew what Isaiah said in chapter 52, 14, when it said this, as many were stonied at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Or as it says in another translation, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. This was the verse right prior to the famous Isaiah chapter 53 that we talked about, that we know so well, the famous messianic passage in the book of Isaiah. Most people don't read in Isaiah 52 right before that when it talks about Jesus was beaten worse than any man, more than any of the sons of men, so bad that his visage was marred, meaning his physical appearance was changed. That's how bad he was beaten. I wonder now why they may not have uh, have uh, recognized him after his resurrection. I believe he still bears those scars, folks of the beating that he took. How does one reconcile this in his mind? Remember, Jesus was not only fully divine, as I said earlier, he was fully human at the same time. He is having the same struggles that we have, yet he was without sin. Knowing you are going to be beaten worse than anyone ever for a bunch of selfish, uncaring, backstabbing people. Many just used him so that they could get some food. Very few had a truly genuine love for him, except for a few women, especially Mary and those who were who saw the power of his forgiveness knowing the depths of what it meant to be delivered and forgiven. I find it so interesting. God has called us men to such a high calling and charge to be rulers in our homes, and yet so often the women showed greater faith in the New Testament at times than us men. It's a shame that we have fallen so often when God has called us to such a high standard. Men, we need to wake up and be men. And I'm sorry if that offends people, but that's the truth. God has called us to act like the leaders we are supposed to be and to love and care for our wives, but to lead in righteousness in our own homes and to be examples, not wimps and sissies and sitting back and letting our wives run the home because we don't have the backbone to stand up and to live a right life. If we would learn how to lay down our lives for our family and to leave in a righteous way, do you know your wife will actually follow you as a husband when you lead by the ways of Christ? You won't have to force, but when you do not lead by the ways of Christ, you know what happens? Your children and your parents look at you, and you, or your wife, they look at you and they say, if this is God, they do it subconsciously, but they say, if this is God, I don't want no part of him. But when a husband leads in a righteous manner, he doesn't have to force anyone to follow. They will naturally because they see the presence of our Heavenly Father, the power of his spirit, the life of his son, 
living in that individual. Even today we see the same lack of respect and caring for the things of God. Little has changed in 2,000 years. Faced with an emotional uh, of turmoil, an emotional turmoil to, uh, to climb, Jesus heads to the, into the garden at this moment as he's facing the end of this, carrying the weight of the world on his shoulder. The burden of many sins begins to weigh heavily on Jesus. You remember as he's going into the garden, he's beginning to feel the weight of our sin, all the sin of the world being pressed on him like they would press their hand on the lamb when they would sacrifice the lamb to transfer those sins. The weight of the world was being pressed upon Jesus, knowing what was going to happen. The burden of many sins began to weigh heavily on him, and as any human would desire to do, he reaches out to his disciples in the darkest moment here on earth and listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and saith unto his disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with Peter and with two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Here Jesus was. He's facing all this pressure. The Lord, He's literally going through hell right now on earth. Have you ever carried the burden of your own sin? Imagine carrying the burden of the world on your shoulder. It was about to kill him. And he says to his disciples in a moment of desperation, please pray here, sit and pray while I go yonder. I need you to pray. I want you to watch with me. And he went a little further and he fell on his faith, praying and saying, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup Pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus is suffering this weight. He's like, Father, it's so much. Lord, if it's possible, let this pass from me. But Lord, I know it's not my will right now. It's your will. Jesus was suffering the emotion of what any human could be going through at that moment, yet more intensified than we could ever handle. And in that moment of his humanity, he says, Lord, if it's possible, but he says, it's not my will. It's your will. Folks, there are times when we will be at that broken place and we will want to let something pass, but we got to remember that God is sovereign and he will bring us through. And maybe, just maybe, our suffering at that moment is not just for us. Maybe it's for somebody else. And he cometh unto his disciples and he findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Do you hear that? Do you hear what Jesus is saying in his voice? You can hear it in his voice. The intensity. He, 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 read what he said, but try to understand it's coming from him. He said, couldn't you? Right, I need you right now. Couldn't you just spend an hour watching and praying? The Lord needed his disciples at that moment. 
He needed them to come through. In verse 41, it says, Watch and pray that you not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was telling them at this hour that he needed his disciple. There's a lot of talk about, yes, Lord, we'll pray. Yes, we'll do this. And at the moment, the Lord needs us. In the end of time, he can't find us anywhere because we're sleeping at the wheel. And the Lord is not there in condemnation at that moment. He's got a broken heart. Because he is ready to face the ultimate persecution that was ever faced. And he needed his friends at that minute, his disciples. Here we are again at the end of time, folks. We're at that moment. We are living in those days that we've been told about for years. And God needs us again in this moment to finish the work. We got to be able to spend time with him. In prayer, seeking his face, we have a mission to do. So Jesus goes back and he prays that third time. And he says those words I mentioned earlier. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. As sweat poured down his face so heavy, the Bible says he was sweating blood. That is actually a physical condition that has scientifically been proven. Knowing he was about to be betrayed by his own friend. Most didn't care. Those who proclaimed they were leaders in the church at that time wanted to crucify him. His disciples would desert him. They slept while he wept. He was going to be beaten like nobody had ever known suffering in the history of this world. And the guilt of sin of this world was causing blood to come out of his pores. He would be hanged naked on a cross to be completely humiliated, mocked ruthlessly and publicly. Beginning to feel that weight of his own. On his own shoulders. The wrath of his father to punish the sin, knowing that at just one word he could have called down 10,000 angels to end this, Jesus cries out and says, Not my will, but thine be done. What Jesus was saying was, That's it, Father. That's it. I'm all in. I know they don't care. I know they betrayed me. I know they deserve death, but I love them. And I'm willing to endure the sufferings of the cross for the prize, Father, that has been laid up before me. I'm willing to suffer the very wrath of hell to save this world, Father. Not my will, but thine be done. With those words, the decision of all decisions that had ever been made culminated in those few short words began the journey of Jesus' last hours as he passed in front of the rulers and the religious elites as they condemned him to the cross, began his journey down the Via Dolorosa. I wanted to share this with you folks because I believe we are living in such an hour as this. Jesus showed us that lost souls are worth everything that he was willing to pay the price no matter what their condition was 
And here we are at the end of the day, the end of time, even like that pastor just did up in there, which is seems so minuscule compared to what others are suffering. But for an example, what that pastor just did, when not for because he disobeyed the world, but because he simply followed the commands of his Lord and Savior, he went to jail for it, for following the truth. God is calling us to do the same in this hour. In the moment that Jesus had laid down his life and the resurrection of his life eternal, he sent a signal out to the spirit realm and to the whole universe at the same time that said this, love is willing to endure all things. There is no price too high for God to pay to save you and me. Jesus was all in. This was divine intervention to save those who could not save themselves. And I look at this, and I think to myself, what do I say? What do I say back to God to possibly say, thank you. Thank you for being willing to suffer and die and to take a beating that I deserve and everybody else deserves so that we could be with you eternally. Thank you hardly seems adequate. It doesn't seem to be enough to describe the gratitude, nor does it rise to the level of appreciation of the king of kings to suffer such wrath. What can I do? I want to do something. I mean, honestly, folks, he did it all for us. But what can I do to say, God, I'm so thankful from the bottom of my heart for allowing your son to die to pay the price. God, I know and understand that by your stripes, by the beating you took, I am healed. And I want to do something for you, Lord. You're worth it, Jesus. Everything you did was worth it. You saved my life, my family. You provided everything I need you and you are worth it I think of the years of the ups and downs and the positives and negatives in churches and in lives as a believer and my life and your life and the kind of things that have gone on and I'm in the things that we are going through right now what are we going to do for our heavenly father for his son for what he has done for us in this last hour what can we do I'll tell you what we can do we can go out and we can share this good news to a dying world while there is still time left. Instead of looking back at our end of our lives with regret, we can look back like the Apostle Paul when he said, I have fought the good fight. Yes, he wasn't perfect. He made plenty of mistakes, but he fought the good fight. The Bible says simply this, Matthew 28, 18. Through 20, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. This is God saying, It is time for us to fulfill our part of the mission. 
God has done his. Persecution will come, folks. It's already here. It will get worse. But it's not because we're rebels. It's because we follow the truth and we do what God asks us to do. And if you want to find pleasure in your life, if you want to see what it's like to experience joy, will you take somebody to the foot of the cross and you watch them go down into the waters of baptism and come up a new man and I'll show you what joy is about when you see a life transformed from living like a child of hell into a following a holy God into a holy kingdom. That's true joy. And yes, there are those who will forsake you. There are family that will call you crazy. There are people that will persecute you. But when you see people come to the Lord, when you pray for people, when you find out in, in the kingdom one day that those who you had no idea that you touched, that you made a difference in their lives simply by the kind words and the way you treated them, when you see that they're there and they share with you how your witness made a difference or how you were praying for those that were on the front line because you weren't able to get out, but you were able to intercede and ask God to do that and to take care of them. God will use you in a powerful way. I know not everybody can go out, but don't use that as an excuse to say you can't go out. I'm talking to those who physically can't get out. You can pray for those that are on the front line. I've said this so many times. Being in the Marines, I can tell you this right now, the front line cannot make it and survive without the rear support. They must be refueled. They must be restocked in ammo, supplies, food. Everything has to come from the rear support. Same thing with those who follow the Lord. We need those that are praying on their knees, interceding while the others are going in. Folks, this is a pattern that's been done all through the Bible, all through time. When people would go out into places and missionaries would go, there would be groups praying that God would send his angels in front of them and clear the way and open the doors as the missionaries went in and spread the good news. Folks, we are a team for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and it will get hot, but it will get amazing because God promised to be here and he saved the best wine for last and he's looking for somebody like Isaiah that's saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Persecution and the Passover go hand in hand. It's coming, it's here. We need to decide who it is that we shall serve. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is Brother Frank on the Remnant Call saying to everybody, good night and shalom. Someday.